On today's episode of Why Won't You Hire Me, I get my very own wrestling intro. Martin Schneider! We're talking with tutor, clerical assistant, and occasional ringside announcer Rachel Levine of Sacramento, California about living your truth in a system that's designed for lies. Plus, I'll take you through the steps to writing a great elevator pitch. That's all coming up on Why Won't You Hire Me. Hello and welcome to Why Won't You Hire Me. I'm your host and your underemployed employment expert, Marty Schneider. This show is all about people sharing their stories of job seeking and unemployment. And today, boy, I have got a good one for you. I'll be talking with Rachel Levine from Sacramento, California. Rachel's been doing data entry and clerical administrative work pretty much since she left college. And she says that her first job when she was in college was so good that it spoiled her. I think there's a lot in the interview which is going to resonate with a lot of job seekers, but especially the parts where she feels that her own honesty and her self-awareness are acting against her. I can relate to this. I was once told by another career coach that I am, quote, self-aware to a fault. This is, of course, a catch-22. Employers claim that they want someone who is capable of being introspective, but the people who are the most introspective are also the least likely to brag about themselves. And that's sort of necessary to get a job. Rachel, like most people, has a hidden talent. She moonlights as a ringside announcer at local wrestling matches. You can hear her do her bit during the interview, but basically she serves as the event MC. She announces wrestler names, bios, details of the match, things like that. It's her job to present basic facts about the programming, or about the wrestlers or their backstory, but to present it in a way that's engaging and crowd-pleasing. She gets people excited about what is, well, basically descriptive information. Of course, it's easy to do that in a wrestling ring with a microphone talking about sweaty men in spandex. It's a little harder to do it when you're in an office and you're talking about yourself. Recently, a coaching client asked me how to craft the perfect elevator pitch. And if you don't know what that is, it's actually not that different from a wrestling introduction. It's a little quieter. It's a little longer, but it's the same basic principle. An elevator pitch is a super quick introduction to you, your background, and your goals. You know how most interviews start with, tell me about yourself? It's that, but under 60 seconds. People use them as quick introductions during networking events to get other people interested in what they have to offer. The first lesson I'll give you is that there's no such thing as a perfect elevator pitch. There's no memorized words that you can just recite every single time you need it. I'm sorry. The pitch depends on the audience. Something that sounds good when said out loud at a networking event can sound off-putting or salesman-like when written down in an email. Getting into a lot of technical details about your work sounds good in an interview, but it doesn't work at a happy hour. Your pitch needs to match your audience. Second, you don't want to sound like a person who is looking for a job in your pitch. You want to sound like a person who already has a job, but wants to get poached by a better one. You can say phrases like, I'm exploring new opportunities, or I'm getting into a career transition, or I want to take my skills into an environment that has X, Y, and Z. Third, every marketer knows this. People like to be sold to, but they don't like to know that they're being sold to. Think about commercials. We react well to Super Bowl spots that have a little story behind them, make us feel like we're watching a short movie, connect with us. 
Oftentimes, these commercials don't even tell you what the product they're selling is until the very last second. Compare that to, say, a used car commercial where someone is screaming at you to tell you that you can walk away with zero money down with a brand new Honda Civic. That's obnoxious. It tells you that you're being sold to. People don't like to know that they're being pitched to. So that makes writing a pitch fairly tricky. Most importantly, you want to act like this awesome, amazing, really important thing that you do is so natural that you're always doing it, even when you're not being paid to do it. So what goes into an elevator pitch? Well, most coaches will tell you that it's about who you are, what you do, and what you want to do. But I'm going to add one more factor in there, and I think it's the most important factor. Why you do the thing you do. Simon Sinek is a leadership coach and a speaker, and he's best known for his book slash TED Talk, Start With Why. In this book, he details an effective way of communicating in a way that inspires people to listen to you and connect with you. Now, if you listen to the show or you've seen anything I've written, you know that I don't much care for motivational speakers or half-hearted thought leadership. So if I'm endorsing and quoting something like this, it has to actually be good. Basically, the concept is this. People are generally more interested in your motives than they are of the actual details of what you do. If you've ever seen a murder mystery, you know that this is true. A strong pitch is going to start off with why your work matters and then evolve backwards into what the work is and how you do it. That way you'll make a bigger impression and you'll get people interested faster. Now, quick difference between me and Simon Sinek, other than the fact that he's a millionaire who has written five books and I'm a grown man who has very strong opinions about the TV show DuckTales. Simon's method is to start with why, and then go into how and end with what. That's because he's talking to CEOs and people who are selling massive products, not job seekers. For our purpose, I think it's easier to write a pitch that starts with why, but then explains what you do, and then ends on how you do it. We switch those last two elements, but no matter what, it's starting from why that matters. So when Rachel says in our interview that she's happiest in a role where she supports people so that they can get their work done, she would start a pitch with why that support matters. Well, that one's pretty straightforward. People do their best work when they have the best help. Rachel, you can use that one for free. If you're still not sure what your why is, if you can't figure out why the work that you do matters, try asking yourself, what would happen if someone didn't do the thing that I do? What if my job didn't exist? And if that still doesn't tell you why the work you do is important, then maybe it's time to do some soul searching. But also, you have the advantage that most companies don't actually know why they hire people to do things, other than they don't want to do it themselves. So you get a little wiggle room to dictate why you matter to them. After you've brought people in with the why, you simply explain what it is you do exactly, and then shift into the X, Y, and Z details of how you do it. Then, in the closing, get back to the why and promote the hell out of yourself. So if I were to make a pitch for this podcast, it would sound like this. People need to feel like they're not alone, especially when they're looking for work. That's my why. That's why I produce Why Won't You Hire Me, a podcast where job seekers share their experiences with the world. That's the what of what I do. I do this by finding the most interesting guests, asking them engaging questions, and editing into a fun little half hour with advice and jokes. That's the how. And then I go back to why at the end with, The show I make helps people through one of the most difficult times of their life. And then some personal promotion. 
For your personal pitch, a good rule of thumb is to start off with something more general that most people can relate to and agree with, and then slowly shift it into being more and more related to you personally. Politicians are very good at this. If you ever watch any political candidate, especially a presidential candidate, give a closing statement, they open with a big wide point that the audience can mostly agree with. Stuff like, we need to make college affordable, or we need to keep Americans safe. Sometimes they frame this as a problem statement, like, college is unaffordable, or America is not safe. And then they shift into how they plan to do that, and then finally into how they're, in fact, the best one to do that, so you should vote for them. In an elevator pitch, you're basically doing the same thing. You're using the same rhetorical devices. Okay, so really the political candidate statements are a better analogy than the wrestling intros. But if I told you that was what we were going to talk about at the beginning, you would never have listened this long. Try writing your own self-pitches and send them to me at hiremepodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at podcast. I'll pick out a few of my favorites and give some critiques on the show. And now, here's Rachel. Okay, my guest today, Rachel Levine from Sacramento, California. Hi, Rachel. Thanks for coming on. Hi, Marty. Thank you for having me. Rachel, you kind of mentioned what we were talking before the show. You aren't really sure kind of what direction you're going in, but you are looking at roles of administrative assistant, kind of clerical roles, things like that, because that's what you've had before and kind of the niche you've fallen into or any kind of office assistant, stuff like that. Is that correct? Yeah, that's that's about what's uh, been happening with me. Well, tell me what 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 has been happening with you. Give me a quick like run through uh, of your resume, just like the highlights. What? How would you describe your experience thus far? Uh, well, I like to say that my first job spoiled me. I while I was in college, I worked at my university's writing center, and I was just a, a peer tutor to other college students, and that was just. It really was rewarding and fun in a way that I never expected to have at a job. Um, And then when I graduated college, that job was no longer available to me because it was only for students. And in moving out, I did a little bit of retail. And once I landed in Sacramento, um, my first job was as a report writer and transcriptionist. After that, I did a contract position at a data collection company and it was mostly uh legislative data and uh that that was temporary in contract um throughout the last uh late spring and summer and early fall I was unemployed and now I'm doing that same contract position again it's it's open during the legislative session time of the year so Okay, that makes sense. What uh, what do you think it was about that first job, the writing center uh, position, that you really enjoyed? What about it spoiled you? Well, not only was I just working with a bunch of very cool and interesting people, it was a way to help others. I, I enjoy doing that, and it also involved what my passion is, which is writing. And even if it's academic, I can help them just figure out prompts. I could get get their 
vision of what they wanted to write out on paper. And that to me was rewarding. You gave me some notes beforehand. So you have an English creative writing degree. Uh, mm-hmm. So a lot of the stuff has been just like temporary contract based stuff. There's one thing that you know I'm going to ask you about mm-hmm. during this kind of uh, period where you've been looking for a uh, like a sustainable day job. Uh, and that is you worked as a ring announcer for wrestling shows? <laughs> um, I still do, actually. Nice. Please talk about this. Okay. <laughs> the The funny thing is, this is also hap- this has come up in in actual job interviews that I've had too. It's mostly on weekends. So in general, this is a this is my my side gig. This is just the thing that I do for fun, and hopefully get enough money to make it worth my while. But yeah, locally, all around the Northern California region, I go to independent professional wrestling shows. And I act as a host and ring announcer. You are you are you like Jerry Lawler? By God, you're that. God, person. I hope I'm not like Jerry Lawler. But um, <laughs> basically, it's that position. It most independent wrestling shows don't have like running commentary. Some of them do, but that's not what I do. What I do is I welcome the audience to the show. I tell them what's on the card, and once the matches start, I. Tell them what sort of match it is, what's the time limit, who's your referee, and I give the big announcement of, like, weights and monikers and titles and all of that, and it's it's that, but it's also selling the story of what's happening. So, so you're like the narrator, the MC, the let's get ready to rumble dude all up in one? Pretty much, uh, though I've never said let's get ready to rumble, That's and at boxing. some point, at, yeah, at some point I probably should. Do you have a catchphrase? Uh, <laughs> I, I guess I do. Um, at the end of shows, usually I will end my, my spiel of like, you know, drive home safe, have a good evening, and I say, live your own truth. Aw, that's sweet. <laughs> I, that's I, a very sweet wrestling sign-off. I, I hope so. It, it came to me randomly one day, and it just sort of stuck. Okay, so living your own truth do you think you keep that philosophy when you are job hunting do you think that you take that into interviews and things with you oh god i have no idea (laughs) um well uh i i think i think in general that i do because i i usually end up mentioning the stuff that i do on weekends which includes the professional wrestling shows more than once I have had interviewers be like, okay, I need you to announce me now. Pretend like we're at a wrestling show. And I have done it. And it has not gotten me a job. That's unfortunate. <laughs> so, it is. Um, and I think maybe part part of living my own truth involves being honest about myself. Maybe in a way that is less than attractive to interviewers. How so? To give you an example, I did a group interview um, a couple of months ago. It was for a a program that basically did after-school extracurriculars for local students, usually in low-income areas, so it was extracurriculars for kids who really needed it. And because it was a group interview, it was for an administrative position, Basically, front desk reception and administrative support rolled into one. They just had a bunch of people in the room together, and we would raise our hands when we had an answer to something. It was sort of informal. It got kind of competitive. And competition and conflict is not really my forte. At one point, they asked, like, that 
that one question they always ask, what's, what is your, your greatest flaw at work or whatever? And Mm -hmm. my answer to that was, well, I'm, I am sort of a person who, uh, misses the forest for the trees because I get, I get very focused on like small details and sometimes I lose the big picture and I gave the example that I had, I have started maybe seven or eight novels and I have not finished a single one. And that may have been a mistake to say because there was someone else there who said, you know, that, that person may be the person who starts novels and never finishes them, but I am the person who starts a novel and then finishes it. And of course I'm sitting there like, what have i what have i done (laughs) but also fuck off like both of those things at the same time it's like i brought myself into this situation but you did like did you have to did you have to ether me so thoroughly yeah dick move dick Uh, honestly yeah but i i didn't get that job either i mean that's such an unhealthy like environment anyway when they bring you all in like that you can tell that they don't care about that position and as far as the, like, what's your greatest weakness uh, question, you heard me in the last episode explain why that's not a good question to ask. Yeah. Like, yeah. it gets you the exact opposite response. You, It may have been a good question once upon a time before everyone expected it, but like, as far as asking someone to be introspective and honest, it's not going to work now because they've been rehearsing that answer for weeks before you got to it. You got one that's just as rehearsed and just as uh, polished as everything else in there. I think that's mm-hmm. what's really interesting if we talk about being honest and transparent and, to use your words, living your truth in a job interview uh, or in these settings because a lot of this sets you up to lie. Like, a lot of this rewards lying yeah. uh, or covering up or pretending, yeah, I'm super excited to be working at this desk answering phones. You know, things that you're maybe not super thrilled about uh but you have to pretend to be and and that's another thing about living my truth is that i am not i am not good at lying i am super bad at it and that means i usually don't bother to do it and this is not a this is not a character strength for me this is it, it causes a lot of inconveniences in my life well, I mean, I'm kind of of the belief that you know, you shouldn't have to lie, We, but we've designed an entire system that's built around uh, around it. An entire system yeah. that's designed on you putting on some kind of facade and, and them holding information from you because it's this weird little power struggle. You don't understand what they're looking for. They haven't been transparent about it. They don't really understand much about you. And when you present something... That's a little unusual off the beaten path, something like a, uh, like I go wrestle or whatever. It's so unusual. It sticks out for them, but they don't, it's like the system lacks the imagination to see how that can apply to whatever task it is that's before them. Um, Right. And I, I feel the need to be honest about myself because I want them to be prepared to know how I work and how I operate, but the way that I do that doesn't sound great on paper. (laughs) And so I think that does make people less inclined to hire me because I, 
I am anxious and this is not, this, this is obvious in the everything about me. <laughs> What's the most frustrating thing for you about looking for a job? I I think it's the amount of effort that I put into applications and interviews. And I keep thinking if I put my all into this, they are going to notice and they are going to hire me, which is not necessarily true even on the best day. There's always going to be somebody who's maybe better suited to that job than me and they may have already been interviewed. But I don't know that. And... Then, as uh, after I've done all of that, they usually don't even let me know that I didn't get the job. Mm. I feel like... So I did another interview for a plastics company. It was another administrative support and reception position um, a couple of months ago. I feel like I really did well in the interview, but I also mentioned that my mental math is not as good as some other people, but I can easily do that stuff with a calculator, which is easily available to anybody. But no matter how good I felt about that interview, I called them a couple of times after they said, oh, we'll call you within a week. Like two weeks later, I'm trying to get in touch with them again. I've not gotten any correspondence at all. And once I finally get a hold of somebody, he's like, I... I did my spiel of like, hi, I interviewed a couple of weeks ago. I just wanted to see how that was going, whether you'd chosen a candidate yet. And the guy very shortly says, yes, we've gone with another option. And I say, okay, thank you. And that's the end of that call. And that was a bad day for me. And that's it. That's, you're, you're done. Yep. What does So what does this your job hunt process look like? Uh, you've been at it for a while. How often do you like apply for things? Is it something you do every day? Um, are, is that, are you just going through, uh, applications online or is there other stuff you're doing? Tell, run me through what your job hunt looks like. Well, uh, I, I try not to do it every day because as a person with anxiety, I have only a certain amount of like energy for any given actual task that I need to do. Mm-hmm. And so... Oftentimes, I will just do it in large bursts on, like, every couple of days. I would put in some applications, usually on Indeed or Craigslist, and just keep polishing my my cover letter to sort of uh, apply to any given position. I might uh, tailor the parts of my job history based on what I'm looking at. Um, And then I mostly wait... uh, I tried to apply to a temp company um, also a couple of months ago, and they said, okay, we're going to look for some jobs for you, and then we'll call you once we find something, and then they never did, which is also what happened with the other temp company that I applied for several years ago. So, you know, my, my parents are asking me, like, have you been applying to, like, the temporary job agencies? And... My immediate reaction in my head is always, why would I do that? They never call me, (laughs) but I I don't really have a choice. I have to. And it's another thing that just, it's effort that goes wasted. What's the closest you've gotten to a job without actually getting it? Oh, that's an interesting question. Um, Actually, this is very funny. It's sort of the position that I am working now 
but it's prior. Um, the, the last session that I worked, I ended up getting sort of a promotion because they had someone leaving and I had to fill in for them for the rest of session. And I thought, okay, that's great. They are going to keep me on. I have a steady job and that I won't have to keep looking for jobs. But it turned out in extending your contract indefinitely did not mean the thing that I thought it meant. Oh. So I sort of got blindsided by the fact that my contract was ending and they sent me an email. Hey, your contract is ending. And I'm like, pardon? Uh, then I had a panic attack with my boss. And um, so that was that. Then I was unemployed for a couple of months. And now I'm back there doing the, the regular general clerk position. <laughs> it, it, it sounds like you're not thrilled about that. Is that is that honest? I am thrilled to be working again. I really okay. don't mind this job at all. I can sort of just listen to music and go through data entry pretty easily. But to be really sure about something that didn't actually ever happen is sort of devastating, especially to a brain like mine. So I obviously I would have liked to get a full-time position and I am going to have to start looking for jobs again after this contract is over. Um, and I'm not sure if it's going to be this. I, well, it can't be the same as last year because my unemployment ran out before mm. the contract was up again. Let's go back to what you said about your first job kind of spoiling you. What does an ideal position look like for you? Maybe not maybe not the job duties themselves. If you want to answer that, that'd be great. Mm -hmm. uh, but what, if it wasn't clerical stuff, what would be like a position that would be like an ideal job description for Rachel to apply to? If I could be a college peer tutor full time, that would be great, honestly. Um, maybe, maybe I haven't had that many jobs, but like, if I could do that full time, I would. But whenever I applied previously for tutoring positions, it wasn't full time. And they usually want you to be uh, proficient in other subjects, which I am not necessarily. So it's an extremely specialized position. I don't know if it could ever even sustain full time, but it's sort of ideal because I'm using my creativity in a way that doesn't affect when I go home and I decide to do my other uh, creative hobbies, but it, it was fun somehow. <laughs> I, th I think a lot of people who like to write or like to do creative hobbies find out very quickly that when you um, do that for a living, it gets really frustrating really fast. Uh, part yeah. of the reason why this show didn't last very long the first time I launched it is because I tried to do podcasting for a living. I tried to produce podcasts for people. And it's draining. You only have the, the enough so much energy to do stuff that you like. Exactly. You you mentioned your parents earlier. Uh, how has your family handled your job search? Uh, I, I would say I am extremely lucky because my parents are willing to help me out when I'm unemployed and I can't afford my rent. It's honestly, it's, it's mind boggling 
how lucky I am, especially in this economy. Overall, the Sacramento job market maybe is not great right now. I'm not really sure. It's not like I've looked this up, but it's been very difficult for me and a lot of my friends to find positions uh, in this city. What's something that you wish someone would ask you in an interview? What's something you wish you could talk about? I, I wish I could talk more about just the... F <sighs> you never want to say that like, oh, I just want to have a day job so I can go home and do the hobbies that I like. Mm -hmm. Because every single thing that you ever apply for has to be your passion somehow, or you don't get hired. <laughs> like, it's just, oh, yes, um, legislative data is the greatest passion of my life. I cannot get enough of bills and just where they're at in... In, <laughs> and and that's that's not to say that can't be your passion it's just it's it's just an example of like i had never thought about it until i started doing that job and now that it's the thing that i have to work on every single week i have to be passionate about it or they don't think that i want the job yeah, that, that buzzword of passion has become, I think, super overwrought, super overused. Uh, yeah. it, it creates this illusion where, like, everybody at a company needs to be passionate about everything. And I think there's nothing wrong with just wanting to do your job. There's nothing wrong with just liking your job. You know, yeah. I, obviously, everyone wants to love their job if you can get in a position where you know you're happy and you're fulfilled and you and it's doing stuff you love then great i would it would be fantastic if everybody's work was like that but sometimes especially when you maybe come from a lower economic status just liking your job is there's there's honor to that and we pretend that there's not and it's really annoying it should be okay to just say i want a job that i can do and do well and then go home and you can't. You can't say that. No one will hire you. Exactly. You exactly. And it's uh, another thing that I think to myself but never say is that I don't want to have to take this job home with me. All sure. the companies in the world are like, oh, I hope I have employees that want to also do work outside of their working hours and also not get paid for it. Yeah, sure. And you, you are rightfully standing against that. Like, I'm off the clock. Leave me alone. Uh-huh. Um, and, you know, it, it should... Ideal situation. We should all just be able to do the thing that we like and also participate in society. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, we're living under capitalism and this is the reality. And as much as it sucks, I don't really have a choice not to participate. And it kind of seems like the thing that bothers you the most is that you're not allowed to be truthful and you're a bad liar yeah that's the thing i'm not <laughs> i need to lie but i am bad at lying and then i don't and then i don't get jobs it's a cycle well here, here's your chance uh if i am listening to this and i hear you and i have a position that kind of fits your needs why should someone hire you i am passionate about 
helping people and supporting people. And I know that sounds contrast to exactly everything else I was saying, but at my job, my hope is that I can make somebody else's job easier, which is, I think, why I keep ending up in receptionist and administrative support positions. It's because I like to make sure everybody else can get their jobs done. That's a good job for me. That's a job that I can like. I don't think that's contradictory at all. I think you just spent 10 minutes telling me stuff you're not passionate about. So that means <laughs> when you say what you are passionate about, you actually mean it. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I guess so. This has been, uh, this has been cathartic. <laughs> I, I'm glad. I'm glad that you feel good about that. And I think, I think that this show helps other people feel good because when, or feel cathartic because when people listen to what you're saying, they'll realize, you know, you're not alone. Somebody else has heard this or someone else is doing this. Before I let you go, yeah. Before I let you go, you know I have to ask: Can you announce me like a wrestler? All right. How much do you weigh? Where are you from? Do you have any monikers? Okay. All right. So I am two hundred and ten pounds from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and monikers. Ah. You know what? I have I have been writing uh, under Vargo for the since the something awful days. Uh-huh. You know, and I was Martin R. Vargo Schneider. So let's just go with that. Okay, hopefully I don't peek out my mic doing I've, this. So I'll just, I've, I'll I've be been back. called Beard Dad as well, uh, if that helps. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I am going to say that because that's more fun. Beard, beard, <laughs> beard Dad is way more fun. I have a beard. I am not a dad. But in... <laughs> I mean, I am a dad in every way that counts, except for actually having a child. I mean, yes, that's you've got dad energy. Big dad energy. I, I dad emanate energy. big dad energy. Yep, that's correct. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 I go to a grocery store, and sometimes items don't ring ring up, and I can feel the words. Guess that means it's free. Just like rising up in the back of my throat, and I gotta choke it down, and then call every woman I've ever slept with just in case. Uh, real quick about my own dad um a thing he said to me when i was a teenager was uh do what you like and get paid for it and were it that simple yeah yeah (laughs) i i god bless dads who understand it um and they are few and far between my dad gets it i think at least that it's way harder to find jobs now than it was you know the last time he had to look um yeah seriously so god bless the dads and the moms that understand it um Mm -hmm. probably one of the most dad things i've had today is that i was late i was almost late for a job interview because i stopped to look at a cool bird so well my my big grandma energy because i consider myself the grandma friend to my friends is that i mixed up eastern pacific time and that's why i was late to this that's all right that's all right so uh, (laughs) so my announcement your announcement okay the following contest is scheduled for one fall this match has a 15 minute time limit making his way to the ring first from philadelphia pennsylvania weighing in at 210 pounds he is the beard dad martin schneider oh that rules (laughs) oh that kicks so much ass (laughs) It's become so second nature to me that I just sort of lose sight of, like, this sounds different to other people. 
Okay, yeah, if you are in the Northern California area, you should hire Rachel just based on that alone, honestly. <laughs> you should hire her just and to do that. And others haven't. Others haven't, so get in on it early if you can. Rachel, thank you very much for uh thank you very much for joining us. I will have your contact info if anyone is interested uh in reaching out to Rachel. All that information is going to be in the notes below. Uh Rachel, thanks for being on. This has been great. Thank you so much. That's it for this edition of Why Won't You Hire Me? Remember, if you'd like to be a guest on the show, or if you have any other questions or comments, you can always contact us at hiremepodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at podcast. Why Won't You Hire Me? is written and produced by me, Martin Schneider. If you like what you've heard, be sure to hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And leaving a rating and review is really going to help us get in the earbuds of other people. I'm Marty Schneider. Thanks for listening.